are you more concerned about your constitutional rights in the middle of COVID-19 than you are the lives of hundreds of thousands or even millions of people? Are you more concerned about your religious freedom during this pandemic than you are the vulnerable who could die because of it? Are you under the delusion that you have an inherent right to religious freedom? If the civil authorities reach a consensus that certain elements of the Constitution have to be temporarily suspended for the sake of society in the moment, is the church obligated to obey? Are you spending more time criticizing elders of other churches for their handling of COVID-19 than you are praying for the victims and then wisdom for our leaders as they try to navigate it, try to manage it, try to contain it, and hopefully try to kill it? Do you start with extending the benefit of the doubt and thinking the best regarding how this crisis is being managed, or do you immediately think the worst conspiracy theory you could imagine? Let me ask you this question. What do you control? Think about that for a second. What exactly in, you, in this situation do you control? What does God say to you about how you should be thinking, talking, and responding in this crisis or to this crisis. Welcome to the Reformed Rant, and as you might guess, I am going to spend the next hour or so providing some observations around COVID-19, and I'm going to spend a lot of time talking about how people are talking about it, how people are responding to it, how Christians are responding to it, what Christians are saying about it. And I will say that I am absolutely appalled at what I see. We talk about truth and standing for truth. And we talk about how the world hates Christianity because the world hates the truth. And this is, all of this is true. And, and many, many, many times when, even sometimes when I see people talk about love, you get this knee-jerk reaction that this is a um, misunderstanding of God's love and these people just aren't interested in the truth. And in many cases, it's true. But there's also many cases where we have people who are, so caught up in fighting about the truth that they have completely and totally abandoned the principles of love, love of your brethren, love of your neighbor, and unity in the body. And if you if you were to look, if you were to look at the work being produced by a lot of folks who are apologetic in nature, myself included. And you were to weigh the focus 
Anytime love comes up and unity comes up, it's downplayed, dismissed, given lip service. And you can see it right here because I got news for you. If you're concerned, if you're more concerned about your rights than you are about the lives of hundreds of thousands of people and even millions of people, something is seriously wrong with your Christianity. And you're not going to get off the hook on saying that the, the mandate to suspend the weekly gathering of the churches is a violation of the commandment. It isn't. And to try and make that case fails miserably. I'm going to talk about that. Welcome to the Reformed Rant. Today is April. April what? I don't know. What is today? April. You see, I'm working from home these days because, well, I have to. And I'm losing track of not just the date, but the actual day of the week. It happens to be Friday, April the 3rd. Buckle up because we're going to make everybody upset with this particular episode. So let's start with a Christian perspective regarding this virus, regarding COVID-19. How should we as believers think about this uh, virus? Well, Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18, paints a very morbid picture of humanity. No one is righteous. No one understands. No one seeks God. They've all turned aside from God. They have all become worthless. No one does good. Their throat is an open grave. Their tongues are used to deceive. Venom is under their lips. Their mouths are full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Their paths are ruin and misery, the way of peace they have not known, and there is absolutely no fear of God before their eyes. In short, humanity deserves to be wiped off the map because of its refusal to acknowledge and submit to the Creator. I deserve to die from COVID-19. I I deserve death. I do not deserve the good things that I have. But God is not only a just and righteous judge. He's also a God who extends grace. He is a God who extends mercy. 
So we start with grace. Isaiah 45, 7 says, God causes calamity to come upon the human race as an act of judgment for our sin. We say, well, my child doesn't deserve to suffer because of my sin or because of the sin of society. Well, God disagrees. That's the kind of God he is. That's the kind of God that exists, and it is that God that society hates. It's that God that the pagan hates, right? Uh, They don't like that God. That God is, is a monster, and Christianity has done a very poor job of accurately depicting the God that actually does exist. So God brings calamity. Isaiah 31.2, let me pull that up, if I can type. And yet he is wise and brings disaster. He does not call back his words, but will rise against the house of the evildoers and against the helpers of those who work iniquity. This is the God of the Bible. Amos chapter 3, verse 6 says, Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? Romans 8, 28 says, We know that to those who love God, all things work together for good. To those who are called according to His purpose. Why do we know this? Well, Ephesians 1.11 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who? Of the one who works all things according to the counsel of his will. All things that are being worked are being worked by God. Nothing that is happening is not being worked. And if it's being worked, it's being worked by God. And it's being worked according to the counsel of his will. Are there things that God is not working? Not according to this text. Now, this is where sin, sinful thinking, sinful philosophy, pagan philosophy, along with Arminianism, semi-Pelagianism, and Pelagianism, create tremendous error ranging from small error to egregious and pernicious error heresy, which Christian love does not tolerate. It doesn't even leave people in small error without attempting to correct them. So where do we start with COVID-19 as a a Christian? We start with the sovereignty of God. We start with grace. We recognize that we are not, in the true sense of the word, victims. We are rebellious Humans, we have been created by God and we have rebelled against our Creator and we deserve the righteous punishment that comes our way. Now, I am not saying or implying that God specifically has done this uh, in some special way that He's brought COVID 19 on society because of evil. I'm saying that COVID-19 is a product of the fall. That's what I'm saying. 
I'm saying that COVID-19 is a consequence included in the curse. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that God moved especially, as some people would think in their mind. Oh, you think that, that humanity did A, and God is now doing this as a result, uh, specifically COVID-19. I'm not, I'm not uh, calling out COVID-19 as a unique expression of divine wrath, kind of like the plagues that went down in Egypt. I'm not doing that. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying that God is sovereign. I am saying that God planned this from the very beginning. I am saying that had sin not entered the world, had man not fallen, had man not rebelled against his creator, COVID-19 would not exist. I am saying that. I am saying that a loving God purposed COVID-19 before he created the world. And he had a good reason for doing so. A good purpose for doing so. It is for his glory and for our good. Now, that's a Christian perspective on how we should think about COVID-19. If you're thinking that a particular person doesn't deserve to have it or that somehow this is unfair, you're not thinking like a Christian, okay? You're thinking like a pagan. You're just not thinking like a Christian. If you read the Bible, you should know better. Now let's talk about the response of the government, governments all across the globe. What is the relationship <clears throat> between the church and the government? Well, Romans 13 says, beginning with verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Resisting the authority, Paul is arguing, is resisting God. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. What have you to fear? What have you to fear? Paul says, would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Well, if, if you would, then do what is good, and you will receive approval. Now, it's interesting that Paul is using this language under the reign of Nero, which is amazing. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. But also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you pay taxes. Now keep that because of conscience 
in the back of your mind. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed them, taxes to whom taxes are due, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. These are things you do to people. These are things you do to people. So here it is clear. It couldn't be clearer that the church has a a qualified mandate to obey the civil authority. That qualified mandate will be seen, the qualification itself will be seen in, in just a couple of minutes. Titus, if Romans 13.1 was, was not enough to convince you, Titus 3.1 says, remind them to be, to be submissive to rulers and authorities to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. What does, what does that look like? And I'll be the first to admit Every time I read this, and Paul gives these instructions to both Timothy and Titus, I'm convicted that somehow I I get the sense that I'm falling short of what Paul is mandating here. And I don't want to fall short of this mandate. But I get the sense on many occasions that I'm falling short. And so I'm working on that. I think we all need to be working, especially those of us who are involved in apologetics or polemics. These mandates need to really jump off the page at us. All right. One more text. 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17. Peter says, be subject for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. To every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are Free, not using, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Now, I understand, I spend most of my time most of my time in, in apologi- on apologetical issues, debating, fussing, arguing. And provided that's done in the right way, there's nothing wrong with it. But it's not easy to make sure that you are consistently engaging in apologetics and polemics 
in a way that is consistent with what Peter and Paul have written to us. It's not easy to do that. In fact, it is extremely easy for us to ignore these commandments. And what's interesting to me is I may be pointing my finger at someone for violating or doing something else that is a commandment because they're breaking the commandment. And the very manner that I've chosen to confront that issue is also a violation of a commandment. And I ignore that. I think I'm justified. I think I don't have to give any time or pay any attention to, to that. And I become guilty of the very same thing that I'm criticizing someone else for doing. Essentially breaking God's commandment. Because that's, that's what apologetics and polemics are all about to begin with. The criticism is that, is that, that we level at others is that this behavior violates God's law. Whatever point of God's law, whatever point of, of the mandate of the statute of God, the ordinance of God, the truth of God that's being violated, that's the criticism that is in some way, shape, or form going against God. But I think we miss the fact that there is a right way that we do that, especially inside and not just inside, but especially inside the household of faith. We should do it to all men. Peter here is telling us to honor everyone, not just those inside the Christian community. Love the brotherhood. That's the Christian community. Honor everybody. Fear God. Honor the emperor. We do not give this enough, enough attention. So the role of the church concerning the government is one of qualified submission. The church must submit to the governing authority so long as the governing authority does not demand that the church disobey the ultimate governing authority, which is itself divine law, God's word, God himself, God speaking to us. That we are required to submit to the government cannot in any sense be challenged at all without severe injustice performed to the text of Scripture. Okay. This is clear. So from these texts, we can see that we should submit to the civil government. But that submission is a qualified submission. In Acts chapter 4, verses 19 and 20, says, but Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Why can we not stop speaking about that? Because we're commanded to proclaim the gospel. We cannot be silenced, and we won't be silenced. So if we stop preaching the gospel, which was the command, this is, don't you talk about this Jesus person any longer? Well, 
that is a mandate from the civil authority that violates the commandment of God. And that we cannot do. That we cannot do. Eventually, Paul was beheaded as, and Peter was, was crucified, according to tradition, upside down. But they submitted to the government. Even in their deaths, they submitted. They opposed any kind of opposition to the government in any way. Now, because the government was asking them to violate the command. So what Peter and Paul did with their deaths was they did both. They obeyed God and they obeyed the government. And this is all leading to someplace very specific. The qualification for submission then to the government is whether or not the government is demanding that your behavior violate God's law in some way. Now we ask the question, how do we respond to the way the government is handling COVID-19? Okay, so here's the question. Does the government have the right to shut down churches during a state of emergency? Now, <clears throat> some people think that this is incredibly simple. It isn't incredibly simple. In fact, it's, ex it's extremely complicated um, in one sense. It's complicated in the sense that I'm not a legal expert on the Constitution. And if you look around the church, there aren't very many people who are legal experts on the Constitution. But there are a lot of loudmouth people running around, pounding the Twitter desk and the Facebook desk who are talking about how this is a clear-cut violation of the Constitution. And my, my reaction to that is not so fast. Not so fast because we know from history that the Constitution has a context like everything else does. And we know historically that in national emergencies, where there are declarations of emergencies, that some elements of the Constitution have been parked, have been paused temporarily, and that there is precedent for that. Okay, there is precedent for that. Now, I don't want to spend a ton of time talking about the ins and outs of this. The attitude of the church is what concerns me the most, and the attitude of a lot of people about this concerns me a great deal. And it isn't, it isn't, the, the, the thing that bothers me, the thing that bothers me the most about this is the very simple display I see of people who apparently seem to be more obsessed and concerned with their constitutional rights than they are the health and well-being and the very lives of their neighbors. 
it seems to me that some people want to say, let's use Betsy as a pretend person. Betsy is a 35-year-old nurse who goes to church. And it seems to me that some people want Betsy to be able to ignore the pandemic and the mandate, the stay-at-home orders, to go to church where, let's say, Betsy contracts COVID-19. And then after Sunday, Monday rolls around and Betsy goes to work because, after all, she has a right to work. And Betsy takes COVID-19 and transmits it to the cancer patient that she's treating whose immune system is almost completely depleted right now because of chemotherapy. And now the cancer patient who has no immune system to fight off COVID-19 is going to die. Who cares? When you look at that, you have two things going on here. The death of this cancer patient who might have otherwise lived had Betsy not done what she did, or Betsy's right to go to church every single Sunday, 52 Sundays out of the year, regardless of any kind of special circumstances whatsoever. That bothers me. That attitude bothers me. If you ask me, am I willing to suspend? Under the Constitution, I have a right. But in an absolute sense, I don't have a right. Not according to Scripture in this world. There's nothing in the Scripture that says, I have a right to religious freedom. God may orchestrate it so that my constitutional rights around religious freedom are, are taken away. I still will worship God. I still will serve God. I still will praise God. I still will gather, even if it's underground. I will still obey God. I would willingly give up my right to assemble on Sundays in this temporary situation to save people's lives. And it bothers me that people are more concerned about their right than they are about human beings. Now, I am I concerned? I'm concerned. Right. If all three branches of our government are on the same page regarding what's going on right now with COVID-19, and that, let's say, let's pretend for a moment that that consensus of all three branches of the government is contrary to the Constitution. Let's say that it is. What, what should be our response Does the Constitution carry more weight than Scripture? Oh, well, Romans 13 says you have to obey the governing authorities. And these are offices. These are people who are in offices. This isn't the Constitution. It isn't the Constitution. It's the people in these offices. It's the government itself. If the government decides, it's going to suspend certain rights in the Constitution temporarily. How should we respond? 
Well, I'll tell you what, it's a bad, it sends a very bad signal for us to say, me going to church every Sunday is, is more important to me than your life. I would rather see you die of COVID-19 before I stop going to church for a few weeks on Sundays. What kind of message is that? What is that saying to people? You want to do that. And then on the other side of COVID-19, you want to turn around and tell these same people how much you love them. And you're giving them the gospel because you, you care about them. Really? <laughs> Good luck with that, okay? Now, all this being said, we do have a constitution. And so we do have uh, rights to religious freedom. But we also have a system that provides recourse and redress when something has happened that violates the Constitution. So we'll take it up that way. All right, fine. We won't meet, but I'll tell you what we are going to do on the other side of this. We're going to ask the courts to decide if the Constitution was violated. Okay, fine. Do that. That's perfectly acceptable. That's how the system is supposed to work. The way the system is not supposed to work is that we're supposed to be, we're, we have a right to go out and rebel and tell the governing authorities, I've got this constitution in my hand and you don't have a right to tell me anything. Well, that's not what the scripture teaches. I'm sorry. You can try to get off on that all day long. It's not going to work. The constitution was written within a context. And there are certain things that the courts have said can be done. Now, who interprets the Constitution? Here's the other problem that we have. Not us. We're not legal experts. The courts do that. The courts interpret the Constitution. And we have to submit to them and their interpretation of the Constitution, even if we disagree with it. Even if... We're convinced 100% that they're wrong. The way the system works is that the Constitution is interpreted by the judiciary. It's like Scripture interprets Scripture. Who is the authority that interprets the Constitution? The judicial branch interprets the Constitution. The legislative branch, when they're legislating, writes laws that are supposed to be consistent with how the courts interpret the Constitution. And if they're not, the law will be tossed out because it was unconstitutional. But the church is not the authority that interprets the Constitution. So... This is a self-contained system where the Constitution and the three branches of government are viewed as one. And we are submitting to that one. You can't break them apart and say, well, my interpretation of the Constitution is right and the way the government interprets the Constitution or is applying the Constitution or using the Constitution is wrong. Sorry, it doesn't work that way. And there are procedures in place for how we deal with that, and we must 
follow them for conscience sake and so that the word of God is not blasphemed. Okay, I'm not a legal expert. I don't come at this question from the standpoint of the Constitution, of the, the Republic, um, or of the legalities of whether or not the government can mandate that churches suspend services temporarily while we try to get through this. No one is being malicious toward Christianity. Christianity has not been singled out. Now, I, I get that abortion clinics are still open and churches are closed and abortion clinics are baby butchering shops. But the world, the, the society doesn't see them as baby butchering shops. Society classifies them as a medical facility. That's where that debate is. If they did, didn't classify them as a medical facility and they classified them in the same way they classified churches, then you would have a double standard. You don't have a double standard. You have a very pernicious standard in, in terms of what's going on there, but it's not a double standard, and God's going to judge that. He's going to burn them to the ground is what he's going to do. Not defending abortion clinics, um, attacking an argument. An argument that I'm very sympathetic to, but it's not a good argument because it's uh, there's a, an equivocation taking place that's missed, and I'm only concerned about the argument itself. We can do better, and we, we must do better. Now, are we concerned about our freedoms? Yes. Should we take action in this society to preserve our religious liberty? I think we should. I think that's only wise. First, first Timothy 2, 1 and 2 says, First of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority. Why? Why? So that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Okay? So religious freedom is a good thing. And if I can do something to make sure it's maintained, and I can do that, and it's, it's wise to do that. So do it. But this, the context in which we're living in right now, is not that. 2 Thessalonians 3, 1, Paul says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you. Well, if we're going to pray that the word of God would spread rapidly, why wouldn't we vote in a way that would help the word of the Lord to spread rapidly without restriction or hindrance? I think we would. I think Paul would support that. I think that makes sense. I think if you go into any society or culture on the planet where religious liberty does not exist and you find Christians and you ask them, if you had your choice, would you like to be free uh, to express your religion and practice your religion without interruption or hindrance from governing authorities? I think any Christian is going to say, yes, I would. All right. Now, I see a lot of criticism going on 
seen a ton of criticism leveled against churches that have suspended physical assembly in preference for virtual gatherings and so on and so forth. Pastors have been accused, elders have been accused of being cowards, engaging in sin, compromising, bowing down to Caesar, and all kinds of absolutely ignorant uh, descriptions have been made of this. Okay, First of all, it's interesting to me that in the middle of this pandemic, with people struggling the way they are to save lives and to protect the health of others, that we have people who are supposedly filled with the love of God, elders who are supposedly filled with the love of God, who are not withholding an ounce, but they are leveling the most intense criticisms against other elders who are not in their churches for how they're handling this particular situation. There doesn't seem to me to be even the slightest degree of benefit of the doubt that these people are doing the best they can to try and figure out how do we honor God and not break God's commandments and at the same time show that we love the world and try to protect as many people's health and lives as we possibly can. People are not even flinching. They're not withholding at all. I have seen some of the most obscene, discouraging, repulsive comments made by pastors and other supposed Christians regarding how the churches are handling this. And it is it's alarming to me. I don't know how you can walk around and say, I am filled with the love of God. And then turn around and say to the elders down the street who have decided to move to virtual, virtual live stream Sunday gatherings because they're concerned about the aging population in their church. And this thing doesn't discriminate. I mean, it's killing people of all age groups at this point. And of course, yeah, if you have health issues, you're, you're more susceptible. But it's, it's killing healthy people. It just depends on how this thing acts when it gets inside your system. And these elders are just trying not to kill people in this particular environment. And they're being criticized completely. And people are pointing to the Constitution as if somehow that gives us a right to actually do this. And I don't think that it does. Because as I said earlier, you can't separate out the Constitution from the other three branches of government. It's a package deal. And when Paul says, submit to the governing authorities, he's not telling you to just First of all, he didn't. He didn't have. He didn't have the American Republic. He didn't have that. But he's telling you whatever the governing authorities are directing you to do, if it does not break God's commandment, do it. You must do it because God commands you to do it. Now, is it a violation of the command? to meet virtually instead of physically in this context? Is God going to look at me and say, Ed, 
I know the motivation of your heart was not to kill seniors, and that's why you suspended services at church and went to virtual, but in so doing, you have violated my command, and for that, there's going to be hell to pay. Is that the kind of devotion that we see in the New Testament? Do we not see the Pharisees having a very similar, cold, calculated adherence to rules, much to the neglect of the actual spirit behind the rule? I think we do. And I think anybody filled with the Spirit, most people filled with the Spirit, ought to be able to read Scripture and to see how churches are responding to this and say, I can't criticize the church for suspending services because they're concerned about the health and well-being of others. Now, some people have criticize church. There's a qualifier out there on one particular website that says, I'm not criticizing churches for closing because they care about people and they don't want people to get COVID-19. I'm criticizing the churches that closed just because the government told them to close. Well, in this particular environment, I don't know how you can figure out the motivation behind which churches closed because the government told them to and which churches closed because they're sincerely concerned. I prefer to think that the overwhelming majority of churches closed because they're concerned about the health and well-being of their immediate community and then the community in which they're, they're surrounded by and then the overall community in the globe, the earth. Would some churches close down if the government said close and would they stop practicing Christianity? Well, yeah, there would be some who would do that and they deserve criticism. But I think in this particular environment, that kind of criticism to that tiny, infinitesimally small number does nothing but create tons of confusion and is very unhelpful. Very, very unhelpful. I'm going to close with this. Again, I'm going to say it one more time. If you are more concerned about your constitutional rights than you are about the lives of small children and the lives of the elderly and people who are at risk because they have, they have cancer and they're in treatment and so forth and they're, they're trying to battle these other more serious diseases and you're more concerned for your constitutional rights than you are for their health and you're physically having to be in church every Sunday rather than suspend that practice and do something a little different for a short period of time, then I have to wonder about you. Where is your love? Where is the power of the Spirit? Being filled with the Holy Spirit means being filled with love. Where is that selfless devotion to your neighbor? that could die because you want to stand up for your rights and you're afraid that the that once these rights are taken away, they're not going to be given back. Well, that could be. I'm concerned about losing my freedom. I don't want to lose 
my freedom. But here's the thing. If it is in fact the case that these rights are going to be taken away from us and we're not going to get them back, what do you control? What do you control? The only thing you control is how you respond to it. You're going to glorify God anyhow, aren't you? You're going to obey God anyhow, aren't you? You may suffer more for it than you did in the past, and so may I. But at the end of the day, you, you, don't, you can't control that. You can't control whether or not you're going to lose your religious freedom. There are things you can do to try and keep it. Do them. But opposing the government, protesting the government's decision, fighting against the government, these are not things that we're allowed to do. We can exercise those mechanisms that are in place to ask for redress so long as those mechanisms exist. But if they're going to take our freedoms, they're going to take those mechanisms with them and there won't be any room for redress and the church will go underground like it is in many, many, many other places in the world today. I hope I've said something that has been encouraging uh, I hope I've answered some questions. This is my perspective on this. I've looked at it. I've thought about it. Um, and, and really, I hope, I hope that what is informing my position on this is Scripture alone and nothing else. If you have comments, you're listening to this on the Anchor app. You can leave those comments on the app itself. If not, you can go over to Reformation Charlotte. There's a couple of Facebook pages. Uh, you can leave comments there, conversation there, really good conversation. This may create some fireworks, uh, which is fine. Uh, we're not all going to agree. At the end of the day, you may disagree with me. I may disagree with you, but that doesn't mean we're not brothers in Christ. We still must honor and respect one another as being born again, bought with the blood of Christ, brothers and sisters on the same side in the same war against the very same enemy. We are not enemies just because we, we disagree on this. That's absurd. All right. God bless you. Take care. Stay in the fight. Keep the faith. And uh, listen, stay healthy. Amen. This podcast is part of the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. Biblical Christianity's marketplace of ideas. BibleThumpingWingnut.com Oh, freedom, oh, freedom, oh, freedom over me and before I be a slave, I'll be buried in my grave. And go home to my Lord and be free.